Uh, on the 1st January 2018, thousands of people holding blue flags and Ambedkar's portrait marched to the memorial site at Bhima Korgaon to commemorate the tw 200th anniversary of battle for Korgaon and pay tribute to their forefathers. They belonged to the Dalit community and their blue flag symbolized Dalit power inscribing, inscribed with King Ashoka's chakra. Buddhist monks in the traditional robes were shouting JB, which means Jait uh, uh, or Ambedkar as an aspiration, along with others. Unfortunately, on their way, upper caste forces attacked them, accusing the commemoration as an anti-national. The whole episode led to a controversy on the many aspects of nationalism and the split loyalty of different groups in India. The Battle of Korgaon occurred in 1818, in which British army, largely comprising of the Mahar community of the Dalits, defeated the mighty Peshwa regime of Maharashtra, which was constituted by upper caste. It is said that limited number of Mahar soldiers, amounting to between 500 to 800, defeated the huge army of Peshwas, amounting to 20,000. It was Dr. Ambedkar's visit at the Korgaon Memorial on 1st January 1927, invoking a glorious valor of Mahar community, made it an annual ritual, where thousands started assembling. However, the central point of controversy is Mahar's sidelining with the British, again is to the Indian Peshwas. Certainly, a commemoration erupts a question mark on the nationalism in India, what nation means to a Dalit. The flags which are shown in the picture comprises of the blue flags uh, which are usually used by the Ambedkarites in India and also the other colourful flag used by the Buddhists. So, however, Ambedkar replies to such an outcry. I quote, There are many who look, up, look upon this conduct of the untouchables in joining the British as an act of gross treason. Treason or not treason, this act of untouchables was quite natural." Unquote. Taking this as entry point, this paper closely reads the writings of Dr. B. R. Ambedkar to delineate the ways in which he imagined a Bharat of the Bahishkrit, in other words, a nation emerging from the margins rather than a top-to-bottom model of Bharat. Does it mean that Navayana Buddhism is inherently anti-national, or how can one, question, one who questioned the loyalty become the drafter of Indian constitution? The paper will investigate how Ambedkar envisaged a Buddhist moral principle alongside a democratic modern nation-state. The paper will dwell upon two premises. Firstly, that Dr. Ambedkar was writing the constitution of India and thus contributing the birth of a new nation-state. Through this direct engagement with modern nation-state, he was forging a possible model upon which a new nation or nationalism can emerge from a fragmented social structure. Secondly, he was writing on Buddha and the moral principles of Dharma, focusing on the ideas of Maitri and Karuna, and later converted to Buddhism in the same time. These two seemingly different but parallel acts hints to the nuanced ways in which Dr. Ambedkar engaged with the Buddhist principles without demeaning the constitutional principles. The paper is divided into four interrelated sections, of which the first section offers background information to the social structure to situate Ambedkar and his virulent opposition to social stigmatization in Indian context. A Homeland of Hindus, Elite Nationalism of Congress During the colonial period, as nationalism emerged to counter the imperial rule and claim the right to Swaraj, 
it became necessary to uphold an ancient and superior indian culture to both posit an indian community as a unified homogene homogeneous entity as well as one that is superior to the west in terms of values ethics and morals nationalism though a modern phenomenon and hence thought to be in conflict with tradition often imagines an the nation as a lost community and one that needs to be regained in the regaining process reforms are inevitable but in indian nationalist movement reform often meant or was done in the form of revival of tradition and these traditions were mostly constructed or created as per the interest of the leaders of the nationalist movement these traditions rather than being inclusive indigenous or popular were on the other hand exclusive caste based and the privilege of the elite or upper castes to be more specific the culture that was engineered or constructed during the colonial period in order to uphold the indian nation was rooted in and based on upper caste hindu religion and religious texts norms and traditions this was evident in the arts literature language and thought that was all considered and defined as belonging to indian national culture it was congress leaders like uh, and gandhi who were in the forefront of creating these narratives they proposed a paradigm for the cultural involvement of nationalism that is rooted in the basic assumption of india as a religious society as well as vedic society the model can be traced from nehru where he builds continuity from india indian past to present through the interpretation in following terms aryan indo-aryan bharat sanskrit vedic hindu hindustan hindi and india nehru writes that mixture of religion and philosophy history and tradition customs and social structure which in its wide fold included almost every aspect of life of india and which might be called brahmanism or hinduism became the symbol of nationalism it was indeed a national religion the muslim past the subaltern counter tradition and the other marginal civilizations that were virulent to were are missing in the interpretative nationalist narrations and it uses the term assimilation synthesis and unity in diversity to cover up the flaws and fissures even the term rashtra the indian equivalent of a concept nation arises from an ethnic spiritual concept rather than a cultural or political idea indian nationalism had its leg on two bases one the anti colonial nationalism and other was the hindu nationalism which was made possible use, using various hindu symbols in the nationalist mobilization once anti colonial colonial nationalism withdrew its active mode with the independence the remaining hindu nationalism will certainly show its inherent characteristics by making a conscious division between political and social elite nationalists legitimized their political and colonial nationalism and considered it as superior to any other forms of local awakening for them the political was imminent and social was deferred form of forms of struggles such categorization helped elite nationalists to silence silence the subaltern uprisings in different parts of the country claiming that they we will look into it once freedom is achieved ambedkar clearly foreso such a hindu dominated or ruling nation where minorities including dalits will suffer, suffer at the hands of hindu castes henceforth he fought in the constituent assembly to embed the humanitarian principle into the indian constitution the second section is the competing nationalism i think you had your 10 minutes we will hand over to your colleague
Okay. <laughs> Still got two according to my. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a critique of the elite nationalism. Uh, for the section of society largely the oppressed, represented by people like Ambedkar, the idea of freedom was both from external as well as internal domination. The freedom for them had a meaning different from that of the mainstream nationalist understanding. Ambedkar always gave precedence to the oppressed people rather than to the country, which is evident when he said as a member of Bombay Legislative Assembly in 1939, as between the country and myself, the country will have precedence. As between the country and depressed classes, the depressed classes will have precedence. The country will not have precedence. He have clearly pointed out the people who are divided into different castes cannot be a nation. The oppressed masses, he says, are the first victims, victims of the elite nationalism. Um, he also asks if the nationalism for which the working people are sacrificing their life when formed would provide these masses social and economic equality. Uh, the incapability of Hindu society to form a nation, the need for an alternative nationalism <coughs> and the understanding of the characteristics of modern nations state have simultaneous role in shaping the formation of a newer concept in Ambedkar. He invoked the idea of Buddha, Kabi and Bhakti tradition in order to counter the homogenizing nature of Hindu-Indian nationalist narratives. Thus he relied, uh, relied upon the moral principles of Buddhism in order to attain his envisioned nation which gives due importance to all its citizens in an equal manner and homogenizes power in all sense. The combating alien nationalism and the egalitarian nationalism as proposed by leaders like Ambedkar has in fact given rise to the discourse surrounding the formation of the modern nation state. Now I shall hand over it to my fellow presenter. Thank you. So I will just continue from what she has talked about. And the next section is titled as Imagining Nation from the Margins. For Ambedkar, the formation of a nation state should be based on the egalitarian principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity. Ambedkar's argument was that in the absence of a complete freedom for the people, nationalism will become a conduit of internal slavery and organized tyranny for the poor and depressed classes. Some factors which can unite people and enhance social assimilation are necessary conditions for a nation to survive. Indian social order will remain fragmented as long as the caste system prevails as the basis of social order. In short, for Ambedkar, nationalism was not merely a political phenomenon, but a social, economic and spiritual process of coming together, which is expressed through a conscious will. When we understand that uh, what we live is not a nation as yet, in its true sense, shall we think about the drawbacks and strive towards establishing a nation in the future. This is possible only through realizing what hinders our unity. In Indian case, it is the caste, therefore annihilation of caste is the first step towards nation building. This is what Ambedkar said. He says that having a Swaraj, or that is what Gandhi has imagined, having a Swaraj, uh, if you can defend it, it is worthless. Only when the Hindu society becomes a casteless society that it can hope to have strength enough to defend itself. Without such internal strength, Swaraj for Hindus may turn out to be only a step towards slavery. Thus, the idea of Ambedkar about nationalism is majorly about the feeling of brotherhood and social unity, without which the formation of nation state is arrested from the beginning itself. Ambedkar's perspective from the margins emanated from his own experience and research differentiate Ambedkar's idea of India from Swaraj of Gandhi. 
Ambedkar's emphasis on annihilation of untouchability as birthright rather than Swaraj's birthright underlines his imagination of Bahishkar Bharat, that is, a Bharat of uh, those who are excommunicated. The moral principles put forth by Buddha can be traced in his conceptualization of the state and fraternity between the people. The Buddhist sang is like, a, like an ocean. In this sang, all are equal. There is, a pro there is probably no better metaphor of the nation that is supposed to be made of pure citizens paying allegiance to the same encompassing body politic without any intermediate entity. This is very much on par with imagination of Ambedkar on the prag pragmatics of nation which is ought to be formed or yet to come. The idea of unity which is different from commonality as explained by Buddha in the instance is the basis of how Ambedkar conceptualized a nation and its people. Now we'll move on to the next section that is Buddhism into the public conflicts with modernity and principles of social organizing. Valerian Rodriguez argues that Ambedkar saw a relation between specific articulation of religion and modernity as complementary rather than hostile. Religions that could not rise up to the, this demand became an obstacle to the full development of a man, and modernity that did not have its moral grounding in religion had little to speak for it. Therefore, modern societies need not shy away from public debate and deliberations on religion, religious beliefs and practices. Ambedkar said, it's an error to look upon religion as a matter which is individual, private, and personal. Religion becomes a source of positive mischief, if not danger, when it remains individual, private, and personal." Unquote. Modernity compelled every religious tradition to restate them according to the subjective positions held by interpretative agency. Ambedkar, being a man influenced by modern values, was not ready to adopt any existing religious practices and doctrines as <coughs> such. Instead, he raised the critique to existing religions and reinterpreted Buddhism in the light of new consciousness. Ambedkar reconfigured Buddhism as an ideal space belonging for marginalized and a way to assert against existing hegemonic religious bodies. This new interpretation not only reflected subaltern aspirations but also universal harmony, peace, and welfare. Ambedkar translated Buddhist principles into the modern constitutional language of equal citizenship. In the constitution-making process, he has tried to incorporate these principles largely. For instance, uh, while presenting the constitution uh, to the Constituent Assembly, Ambedkar says, A study of Buddhist bhikshu sanghas discloses that not only there were parliaments for sanghas, were nothing but parliaments, but the sanghas knew and observed all the rules of parliamentary procedure known to modern times. They had rules regarding seating arrangements, rules regarding motions, resolutions, quorum, whip, counting of votes, voting by ballot, censure motion, regularization, etc. Although these rules of parliamentary procedure were applied by Buddha to the meetings of Sanghas, he must have borrowed them from the rules of political assemblies functioning in, functioning in the country in his time." Unquote. As Sangha is related to the parliament, Ambedkar identifies several principles that need to be adopted from the former for a better function of the latter. Firstly, the Sangha consists of people who committed to self-culture. Secondly, Sangha was a society which would live up to the Buddhist ideal embodied in the principles of Buddhism and serve as a model to the layman. Thirdly, Sangha was a fellowship where members are free to help others. This qualifies the initial two enlightenment values of liberty and equality. Above all, communication or friendship is the essence which constitutes Sangha. The communication offers to look at each others not based on what one has been, but by what one aspires to or striving to become. 
Similarly, through friendship, through friendship, one can transcend the attachment to oneself and the strive towards the enlightenment values of fraternity. The Sangha had the uh, the Sangha the, uh, the Sangha had the women and lower caste in it, thus providing equal opportunity and status for all. And for Ambedkar, uh, this equal opportunity for all is the basis of a nation. Uh, and Ambedkar reinterprets some uh, Dhamma and says that. Uh, Universal morality which protects the weak from the strong, which provides common models, standards, and rules, and which safeguards the growth of the individual. This is what Dhamma for Ambedkar. Thus, Buddha is seen as a propagator of an egalitarian religious principle. Analyzing Ambedkar's reading of Buddha, uh, Fiske argues, Gautama is the opposition, the minority leader. He yields to the best interest of the common will. He upholds an anti-militaristic ahimsa position. Unquote. Ambedkar's Buddhist ideals promoted him to deliver a synthesis between modern values, national making, and Buddhist teachings. And he interestingly claims that the slogans which he believed as the basis of Indian uh, nation should uh, liberty, equality, and fraternity have come from the teachings of Buddha. Ambedkar thus does a complicated task of reclaiming the older religion, connecting with the Western thoughts, and tries to rebuild a nation by linking these two. Ambedkar also expressed his concern over how India lost its democracy that once existed during the Sangha period. He urges the people to bring back the lost democracy, which is primarily based on the Buddhist moral principles. He further adds that in order to maintain democracy, not just in form, but in practice, we must hold on to the constitution and follow constitutional methods of achieving our social and economic objectives. Thus, we can see here how both religious values and constitutional values mutually correlates in Ambedkar's concepts. Uh, I will just conclude now. Yeah. Ambedkar lacked a nation to which he had felt feeling to be inclined into. There was no will to be a nation other than to be a state in Indian case. For Ambedkar, such a will is the necessary element to constitute a nation. Hence, Ambedkar throughout his life tried to awaken the people to enhance such a desire, which will be followed by citizenship based on liberty, fraternity, and equality. G. Aloysius argues that subaltern struggles across the country are characteristics of civic or political nationalist struggles, while Cabrera argues that Ambedkar's outlook emphasizes a cosmopolitan outlook. Without demeaning either of these arguments, we would argue that Ambedkar's outlook is framed within the liminal space between Buddhist principles and modern values. Hence, the transition from self-imposed tutelage to free citizen, which is the zenith of enlightenment, and from an ascriptive fixity of caste identity to emancipated becoming of Buddhist, coexist as the foundational stone upon which he tried to build the nation. We will end this paper with an unanswered question, just like his unfinished autobiography, which was interestingly titled as Waiting for a Visa. I don't know which, to which country he was supposed to. One requires a visa when he decides to enter into another nation. What was that nation Ambedkar was waiting to enter into? Was indeed a nation based on egalitarian principles of Maitre and Karuna? Thank you. Thank you very much.